triple zeros. I'm your host, Josh Buckhalter. Follow me on Twitter at Joshie Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports website, clockersports.com, and the email address is clockersports at gmail.com. Man, it was a crazy night of sports on Thursday with the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Miami Dolphins on Thursday night football in a game that, you know, I guess if you don't have any vested interest in it, it could have been a snooze fest because it was pretty one-sided, but it was still exciting for a football fan. And then, of course, you had the Western Conference Finals game four taking place and all of that action there. So let's get right into it, man, and not waste any more time. First things first, got to recap what happened on Thursday night football. Jacksonville fell to the Miami Dolphins 31-13 to in a game that, you know what? I was gonna bet on it because I've been trying to I've been trying to peg Thursday night football. It's one of the toughest for me personally to get a, a, a real bead on. But this one had all the makings of an upset, I guess. Both teams came in uh well Dolphins came in 0 and 2, Jacksonville came in one and one. And so to to all the hype coming in was behind Gardner Minshew, right? You knew about Ryan Fitzpatrick. We know how streaky he can be, but all the talk was about Minshew. Really, it's about been about their the mustache versus the beard, uh, beard one. But you've been hearing about Minshew and how he's just you know slinging the rock and how Jacksonville is is better than expected. And Miami's on just biding time until they uh, replace Tannehill. Or I'm sorry, Tannehill replace Fitzpatrick with Tua. Well, uh, Miami got off to a quick 14-0 lead in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter in the first quarter. Um, Jacksonville did not score their first touchdown until the second quarter, and it was they didn't score again until the fourth, and they only scored. It was bad. It was a bad look. And one of the things that I think I took away mostly, obviously, you like I said, Fitzpatrick is going to do what he's going to do. But the hype around Minshew, I found myself questioning it. And the stat line doesn't look awful. It's not great. He thirty-eight, forty-two, two seventy-five, no touchdowns and a pick. He came in one and zero in prime time on Thursday night, no less. But I can't help but feel like the bright lights at this point were a little bit too much for him. Uh, you're going against a Miami Dolphins team that was missing uh, its top corner. I don't know how they rank Byron and Xavier Howard. I like Xavier Howard more. But Byron Jones was not in this game. You also had, I know, I know, granted, Jacksonville was missing their left tackle. But I just don't, I don't understand how they came out that flat. That was a bad look. They, they were punting and, and Minshew in particular looked flustered and maybe that was that's probably the most due to the protection um they were without their starting center and so i just it it didn't look good um he looked like he was rushing through his progressions he looked like he wasn't even progressing a lot of times he was just trying to decide whether or not to run the ball or try to throw it away like he looked like he was stuck in between decisions a lot of times throughout the night um was moving around in the pocket and kind of forced himself into a couple of sacks and bad throws he was let down by uh rookie receiver lavisca chanel um let who let me down too because he's on my fantasy team but he was let down on a, on a scramble drill broken play Minshew rolled out right and was looking for anybody somebody tyler eifert came back but uh, Minshew kind of locked on on chanel and tried to hit him uh on a pass that should have been completed had chanel broke hard back to the ball he didn't do that and ended up becoming well it looked like an interception ended up just being a drop pass and fourth down but the point is, it just wasn't a, a very clean night against a team that doesn't rush the passer well. So I don't know if that's schematic, if that is due to the uh, lack of that offensive line, the typical offensive lineman. But whatever it is, it didn't look good. And I, I wonder how are we going to look at the, the Jaguars at the end of the year? Um, I think we all know that answer, but I, I just, 
you know, we, we talked and, and much of the talk about them before the season started was that they could be in the running for a Trevor uh, Lawrence out of Clemson. And this is one of those type of performances where I would have to agree that they have to at least I, I, I'm not sure how many games they're going to win with this guy like this. Like, granted, he has those moments where he looks like he can just, uh, you know, beat the world because he could just always got the confidence, got the swag. Everybody loves that kind of story. They, they love that kind of story. But truth be told, if you're going out and playing as poorly as he played again, he was let down a couple of times, but he was not great. He was far from great. He was not good. And I, I just don't know how, how they're going to, you know, how do you, how do you not figure that you need to be trying to get in on one of these quarterbacks that's going to come out and what's a, what's thought to be a quarterback friendly draft uh, quarterback. It's not really quarterback heavy, but it would a quarterback medium <laughs> quarterback slight build. I don't know. Um, star of this game, though, at least uh, in my eyes, was James Robinson, the undrafted running back out of Southern Illinois, uh, ran 11 times, 46 yards. That's not impressive. Four, uh, you know, it was 4.2 yards a carry. Very, very workmanlike, very solid. Two tugs on the ground, though. He also caught, he was their leading receiver, six catches with uh, 83 yards. Let him in catches and yards on the night when they were without uh, DJ Shark. It, it was, it was ugly showing for Jacksonville and offensive coordinator Jay Gruden uh, in particular because there were there was a call on third and five and they were in the red zone or they were at least in plus territory and for some reason they called a toss play I, I, I I've never that's some Matt Nagy type stuff right there where you you know like if anything they were going to go for it on fourth down anyway right so why wouldn't you just try to get as much yardage as possible instead of trying to get fancy and cute there that 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 will always uh, irk me when I see coaches call plays like that in those situations. You have to. Yeah, I just don't. I don't. I know you're trying to uh, catch the defense off guard, but I feel like far too often that results in uh, you trying to be the smartest guy in the room, and and that just backfires. It's just never a good look when that's when you're just trying to do it for the sake of doing something different. It just always seems to be uh, a misstep. So that was that was the big takeaway there. I for Miami, I want to see Tua. Like, I'm happy for Fitzpatrick, but damn it, I want to see Tua. I know that they'll, you know, recover from the hip, so they want to let him get healthy. But he's on the sideline with the helmet. Man, I want to see Tua. And that's probably selfish because he does need to be healthy, make sure he, he can uh, build his body up for an NFL beating, and and then he can get in. But uh, damn it. Damn it. Also, if you're a Dolphins, I guess not because they, they ended up getting high enough pick to draft Tua. But I was going to say, if you're a Dolphins fan, how many times do you want Fitzpatrick under their possibly winning games and ruining the ability to surround Tua with some more talent? But they they felt one they lost enough games to get Tua. They can lose enough games against him. Guarantee you that. Um, but Robinson, man, from the Jaguars, that was just that was just a great performance. Thirty points on my fantasy football team. Listen, I know a lot of people don't care. I do, and it's my show, so we talk about it. <laughs> um, some other week three news before we get into the schedule. Devontae Freeman has signed a deal with the New York Giants we talked about last episode. They lost Saquon Barkley for the season, so uh, Freeman joins them. He will be splitting time with Deion Lewis and possibly even Wayne Gallman. I doubt you'll see a lot of Wayne Gallman unless uh, once once Freeman gets acclimated, that is. Uh, Blake Bortles ended up in Denver with the Broncos after Drew Locke went down. It's, it's, whew. We talked about that last episode, too. The injury Armageddon just swept across the league. So you're seeing a lot of guys come back in, uh, signing deals now that, that weren't there before. Um, You have the Bears bringing in Daniel McCullers after losing John Jenkins to an injury. So it's just a lot of movement like that. Um, the, the Freeman one is obviously the biggest news uh, of the week there. Looking at the week three slate, though, man, it's really, really exciting. There are a lot of, a lot of games that I, I'm looking forward to seeing. 
And I think the number one, first of all, the prime times are chef's kiss. Beautiful things to see. I, that's the kind of that's the kind of scheduling the NFL needs to try to work out somehow, some way, uh, every week. But um, before that, you even get before you even get to that, you have the Oakland Raiders taking on the New England Patriots. Now you're probably like, wait a minute, man. This ain't the the Patriots of old, and nor is it the Raiders from that time frame. This is not even Tom Brady, who would be the main reason that John Gruden want revenge. But organizations, history, the Pat, the Tuck rule, all that kind of stuff gets to play here. So it's just cool to see them play each other again. It's always fun, and it's kind of like opposites. You know, you got the Patriots, you got the clean cut imagery with the Raiders, the, the the rough and tumble, do what you wish type of type of visual there. So that'll be interesting to see. You have the Rams taking on the Bills in a, a matchup that I think pits. It's a great defense with a very creative offense. I'd love to see how that works out. And then a, a go-hard uh, defense in the Rams that, you know, they're they a very talented bunch, a speed bunch, against the Bills offense that is kind of taking the league by storm because they're doing it through the air. And when they do do it on the ground, they do it via Josh Allen. So he's just racking up all types of yardage right now. Um, and you know what? He's crept into uh, dark horse candidate for MVP. And... I, I, you know, I'm firmly on the Kyler Murray for MVP train. That's I'm planted. I'm, I'm, I'm the conductor of that train. Matter of fact, um, but I already talked about how Russ is right there, and a lot of people already have Russ as the top guy. And you know what? I wouldn't be mad because he hasn't had one, and he definitely has deserved one, and he's definitely deserving of it. Now I'm just gonna keep on rooting for Kyler. But Josh Allen is a guy that I hadn't even thought about until looking back at what he was doing and how how he's done it. Um, I think that. While they still haven't been tested, you know, the, as tough as they will be, they we know that they are uh, they are talented enough to be a playoff team. If he's figured it out as a passer, look out, and we'll probably have to be this will probably be a, a, a down the stretch type of deal. Uh, but right now, I still have Kyler at number one. Russ is a as a is a on the heels, breathing down the neck two, and then Josh Allen has entered the he's in the room. He's definitely in the room, and he's 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 getting closer to the group, and so. Uh, three-man race, I still am going to stick with Kyler as my pick all the way through, but I think that's a good game to watch us for that, uh, simply because it, it's, it's good to see that evolution there. And then how does uh, Jared Goff handle a talented defense like the Buffalo Bills um, in year five for him? I, I'm, I'm, I, I'm way off on his years. I can't remember exactly when he was drafted. I think he was drafted 2016, so that would make this year five. Anyway. I digress. That's just the first matchup that I'm looking for. Second matchup I'm looking forward to. Texas and Steelers kind of intrigues me too. Um, I want to see how Deshaun Watson can handle that Steelers defense, but then I stop right there because I think about that Steelers defense and Deshaun Watson's offensive line being absolute trash. So I'm no longer worried about seeing that game. It would be interesting um, if they had a good blocking scheme for Deshaun and if he had his full complement of weapons, but uh, we just don't know. What the status of a Will Fuller is, we don't know what's going to happen with Brandon Cooks, but he's been in the injury report. Um, has anybody else noticed that? I've noticed a lot of, of injuries, but I, I think it's more of the maintenance thing because there was no preseason, so teams are kind of managing reps of guys. Um, Julia, Juju Smith-Schuster, one of the people that uh, missed practice last week and is missing practice somewhat this week too, but everybody expects him to play. So it's the, the injury management, I think, has been an interesting factor in all of this uh, with teams trying to mitigate the not having the offseason to prepare guys' bodies for the the, the beating. And I, I I talked about this. I hope that this is a kind of a uh, not warning shot, but a realization moment for, for players that you, you kind of do need the preseason. Even if you don't think so and if you're not going to play a lot, the ability to go through the motions and have that physical kind of play I think is a, a, a big deal. Titans-Vikings doesn't really excite me either, um, but 
the Vikings, they, they are close or very quickly becoming a disaster of a season. You know, you only get 16 games, so starting off 0-3 is almost uh, suicide. Now, you can come back from it, so I guess I won't make it suicide, but you can you can see how much of a hole they would be in. It'd be very difficult already with the Bears sitting at 2-0, uh, Green Bay as well, and so you lose any more ground there, you're, you're pretty much hoping that you can get that extra wild card spot, but that's not something that you want to leave up to chance, and Really, the problem for them is that they can't get Kirk Cousins to play good, play well. And they paid him all that damn money. Now, I do believe that they'll turn it around, but I also, and I had a ha-ha moment, Nelson Muntz moment last episode. This is what happens when you trade a guy like Stephon Diggs because you think that you can make it work without them. I think he was extremely undervalued because of the fact that they had Adam Thielen. And that's not to take away from Adam Thielen, but I don't think that he had the uh, the one-on-one coverage beating ability that is to find digs and i think we've seen that so far so that's just you know it's not an intriguing game but there's some there's some storylines there to keep an eye on panthers and Chargers wouldn't be that great because uh christian mccaffrey won't be playing teddy beast my boy but the reason why this game is interesting is because it is the first start for one justin herbert we talked about how he came in in relief it was really a start still because uh tyrod taylor didn't make it very long i don't think he even made it out of the the warm-ups but Justin Herbert gets his official first start for the Panthers, against the Panthers, rather. And so I'm looking forward to see how that offense goes. And you not, there's no way going back. We talked about that, too. Uh, Anthony Lynn, head coach of the Chargers, came out and said that if Tyrod Taylor was 100%, he would be the starter. And everybody was going crazy about, oh, how could you say this? You can't, you, you got the kid in, you can't take my blah, blah. And I'm like, man, y'all not even paying attention. He literally said if he's not 100%. And uh, great segue, actually, came out this week that the team doctor, uh, for the Chargers, accidentally punctured Tyrod Taylor's lung when trying to give him an injection for a chest injury. And if you know anything about the Chargers medical staff, you know it hasn't, it doesn't have the best track record. Um, you've got guys Marquise Pouncey, two years of being injured, Derwin James is injured and out, and now that was a, a, a non-contact on the field type of deal. That's freak injury type stuff, but. As, a, as a, a Bulls fan, I can tell you having a, a quality trainer definitely matters, and it doesn't seem like the Chargers have one. So um, that might be something they want to reevaluate, but as it stands right now, the best part about this game is being able to see Justin Herbert go out there. Let's see if he's as as, as uh, sharp as he was in his first action. I'm not sure if he will be because teams will have they have a little bit of film on him now. They'll know that they're playing against him, so they'll game plan for him and not Taylor. Uh, I it, I have to say, I thought that was a funny story with Tyrod uh, going out when he did because if they had him on the, the practice or the injury report all week, took him off late, but they dressed three quarterbacks. So I, I was wondering in my head, like, is that some kind of a violation? Because we've, you know, talked about the disclosure rules uh, for games and stuff, so there's no type of uh, competitive disadvantage for the other team if they're preparing for somebody when you know full well that that guy's not going to play. That didn't seem to be the case now, so that's that's good to see, but... Man, you just you just feel for Tyrod because that's a that's an awful situation, especially uh, for a team with such troubling history with their doctors as it is. The next game that I'm kind of intrigued by, Seahawks Colts Cow- Colts Seahawks Cowboys. Man, they're right next to each other on the screen, so I got having a little bit of confusion here. But Seahawks and Cowboys, and this game is interesting because the Cowboys. Uh, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. They were getting blown out by the Atlanta Falcons and battled their way back. Had 200-yard receivers in uh, CeeDee Lamb and Amari Cooper. Dak was putting on a show. Uh, he's also making his bid for MVP this season. 
And then the Seahawks. I just talked about Russ and what he does and how he's in the MVP race. And and they're got they've got their running game going. The injuries to the Cowboys linebacking core. Leighton Vander and Sean Lee. You just wonder how long they can keep it up. Now, this is a new offensive system. Well, it's the same system, but uh, Kellen Moore is not the is not calling the plays, and so you just wonder if, if can the Seahawks and that, I see I know you probably thought I was going to go with the, with the Cowboys, but if the Seahawks can't control the game here, I think Dallas might pull this one off. Dallas can go, and it's not this is it's in Seattle, but there's no twelves. You don't get the fan experience, so this is a much more navigable environment for the Cowboys here, in which I think their talent is going to take over the, the Seahawks. So that might be the one that I put my first money down on uh, this week. That I, I, as the more I look at it, afternoon game, the more I look at it, the more I'm, I'm feeling confident in saying that the Cowboys have more than enough to take down Seattle. And now what will that do um, to the Seahawks and really Russ's MVP chance? Now, that being said, Dallas's defense isn't great. So that doesn't mean they're going to just go out there and shut down Russ in that offense. But I do think that it's going to be interesting to see uh, how the the Seattle defense handles that that look from the Cowboys that can come from anywhere. They've got so much talent there now that I don't think that you can just overlook them and assume that they're not going to be able to do it against a team like the, the Seahawks, who, as long as they got Russ, they're proven. So keep an eye on that one. I'll probably address that one again, maybe put some money on that one. You never know. You never know. Um then we go into the primetime games, and this is where the NFL really, really uh, showed their ass. They win. <laughs> they scheduled the Packers versus the Saints. Now, unfortunately, this game is going to be without Michael Thomas, but there is a chance it's also without Devontae Adams. That kind of levels the playing field in my eyes and makes this game, once again, all that much more intriguing because you get to see Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees. Now, Brees did not look great uh, on Monday night against the Raiders in Las Vegas. But this game is in New Orleans. Um, is that uh, we'll get to see this as a function of fan crowd interaction and, and noise level, or you know, if he's just much better, just more comfortable on his home turf. And Rodgers is Rodgers. He's gonna play how he plays. I don't think it's it matters where he's at. So that's gonna be a great duel of two quarterbacks. Hopefully they can get. Um, I, I want there to be enough production to where we get an interesting game. I, I wish Michael Thomas was playing, and I, I wish we knew Devontae Adams was playing. But I still think no matter who's in there, as long as you have those two quarterbacks and the running backs, let's be honest, because Aaron Jones uh, is leading the league in rushing right now, uh, you would have a a very interesting game. So that's one, two. And in that one, get at me if Devonta get at me when Devontae Adams. If Devontae Adams plays, I think I'm picking the Packers. But if he doesn't, I think I'm going to go with the Saints. Yeah, that sounds about right. If Adams play, oh, man, I don't know. I, I don't know because... He, it's a hammy. Now, reports are that if the he was able to come back in if need be, but they didn't need him, so he didn't. But that's that's ooh, that's a tough one. I'm going to have to revisit that one, too. I have to see the end of uh, tomorrow's practice report. Then you have the Chiefs taking on the Ravens on Monday night. And listen, man, for all of the talent on that Ravens roster, we have seen it in the past couple of years that the kryptonite resides in Missouri. And it ain't it, 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 it wasn't the, the specter of the St. Louis Rams. It is the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, that offense, and really the defense too, but it's, it's the offense. They put a kind of pressure on Lamar that, at least as of last year, he wasn't ready to overcome. Now, maybe he is now, but I'm still going to ride with Chiefs. I think I'm going to ride three road dogs this week, man. The three, the three road teams in those big games in the Cowboys, Seahawks, Packers, Saints, and the Chiefs, Ravens. Maybe I throw a little bit of extra bread 
on the uh, on the Bills Rams. Ah, it's it's some bad football, so you don't want to touch the bad football, right? <laughs> you kind of want to leave the bad football alone. Um, but yeah, that that Chiefs Ravens game is is incredible to to see. Even if it is going to be a struggle for the Ravens, I believe for much of it, I think they'll make it interesting later on. And listen. Hopefully I'm wrong, and it's a duel throughout, and and Lamar, my boy, has taken a step forward to where he is keeping it competitive the entire time. That would be ideal. Let's not get it twisted here. I just, what I've seen the past two years is the Baltimore Ravens kryptonite resides in Kansas City, Missouri, and they wear red. <laughs> so we'll see how that game goes, but I'm definitely looking forward to that. Like I said, man, it's a pretty solid slate. I know the I didn't mention every game, but they're still all watchable. Lions, Cardinals. I want to see Kyler Murray continue his MVP tour. Uh, Bucks, Broncos. That one's going to be a little bit brutal, but maybe it gives Brady a chance to kind of get himself in a groove with his new teammates because there's not much of a threat coming from the other side. Uh, Jets, Colts. Colts all day. The Jets are just awful. Um, and then you got the uh, Washington football team. I almost messed it up. Washington football team and the Cleveland Browns. That's a game that's going to be ugly, but probably looks interesting after the fact. Uh, and then you got the Bengals Eagles. Joe Burrow still looking for his first win. Carson Wentz trying to regain confidence. They're they're hoping to get some receivers back there soon. And last but not least, 49ers and the Giants. And that game is would be a lot better if everybody's playing with the Giants are going to be playing without Saquon, without Sterling Shepard, and the the Niners are without everybody. They're without the nine in the logo. Like that's how many people they're missing. They're missing parts of the logo too. Not a good look. Uh, but still an interesting slate of games, like I said, man. You got four or five with, with actual interest in them, and then everything's a little bit more fun with some with some, with some some juice on the side. The last game, and I did not touch it because I'm going to touch it right now, was the Bears and the Falcons. And I wrote about this for last word on pro football. The Bears are going to have to be very wary of the Atlanta passing attack. Shocker. Well, when you break it down, you see how, how dire this is. The Bears are... Top five guys in completion percentage in the corners there with with uh, Kyle Fuller and rookie Jalen Johnson. Johnson is only allowing 46%, just over 46% of the passes thrown his way to be completed. Fuller's down to 42 this year. Um, it's early, and they haven't played the greatest of teams, but that's you can only work with the numbers that you have so far. But they're coming against a, a passing attack that they have not seen the likes of. Um, Julio Jones is potentially going to not play, or potentially go, not. Julio Jones had, uh, will potentially miss this game. Don't count on that, though. I, I would imagine he's going to play, even if it's at, at 80% or somewhat of a decoy, I think he's going to play. But Calvin Ridley leads the NFL in receiving yards, so it's not like they, ha- they have to do without just because they won't have a full-strength Julio. Uh, this is going to be a challenge, even for the, the for Nickelback Buster Screen, because he's got to go up against Russell Gage, who has seemingly taken over the targets for um, the departed Muhammad Sanu from last year, and then Justin Hart, too, I believe. And then some of the uh, Austin Hooper targets that Hayden Hurst hasn't quite picked up yet because he's still building that rapport with uh, Matt Ryan. This is a this is a team that in Atlanta that's reeling, and the Bears have a chance to make a serious statement. It'll be their first time going three and zero since twenty thirteen, and it would do a lot for the confidence. Now, here's my my fear: here is that they go out and win this game and it turns out to be like the Buccaneers game a couple of years ago where it looks like they're great, but you find out that the team that they just did that to really isn't all that good. I just told you Dallas, we talked about the last episode, Dallas was the first team to score 39 points and uh, have zero turnovers and still lose the game. Like Falcons are desperate 
and the Bears are trying to prove it. So it's going to be a nice, nice matchup to see, and I, I can't wait. But check out that article talking about the importance of the cornerbacks and against these receivers here. Uh, it's titled "The Chicago Bears Can't Let the Atlanta Falcons Receivers Take Flight." Switching gears over to the NBA, the Lakers filed a complaint over LeBron's lack of free throws. Uh, per head coach Frank Vogel, we're dealing with the fouls through the proper channels with the league. Uh, I think he's gone to the basket very aggressively, and I'll just leave it at that. Uh, it notes that James has only taken 10 free throws throughout the first three games of the Western Conference Finals. That's 3.3 attempts per game uh, in the bubble. Prior to the Western Conference Finals, he was getting to the stripe 7.6 times a game. So, and then over his career, over his playoff career, it's about, it's nine. Nine free throw attempts per game. So 3.3 is absurdly low. Um, and in the blowout win over uh, game one, the blowout win over the Nuggets, Lakers shot almost 10 more free throws than Denver. But then it switched back over. Now, remember, people were complaining about how the disparity there, that Denver was complaining about the disparity there. And it's now gone to Denver's favor, 33-19. And they've also done it again on game three. That was game two. Game three, it was 29-22. So the Lakers have kind of been given a dose of, I don't say their own medicine, because they don't they don't make the calls, but the calls definitely shifted after that first one when people were, were livid at the disparity. Um, it's been much more subtle. Well, it's much more subtle in game three. Game two wasn't really that subtle. <laughs> uh, but I think what you're seeing here is, you know, you know, and it's not rigged, but there's veteran fouls. You get you get certain calls, and I I don't I don't blame Vogel for for speaking up for his player who's who gets hit more than the average and is uh, expected to just take it because of his size. But actually, the on the other side of that, you also have a lot of times when LeBron goes into the hole shoulder first and is looking to clear somebody out before he takes it to the rack strong. So, are they trading off those calls for that call? Like you can't you just can't have it both ways. If you want him to be called, you want him to be called. They don't really want him to be called. They just want to leave to look at it. But I, 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 I was surprised to find that they formally filed a complaint and not just complained about it in the media. That's an interesting, uh, interesting take for it. So uh, Lakers did go up three one on the Nuggets uh, after a one fourteen to one oh eight victory. All that means is the Nuggets have them right where they want them. That was the most used joke on Twitter. I have a tweet out with it on there, so don't shoot me. It was already I had done it before I noticed and even thought to check if everybody else had done it, but everybody else had done it. It's not coming down. Um, and they did so behind LeBron and AD. AD had 34-5-3, Bron 26-9-8. Um, Dwight, though. Dwight got his first start since 2015 in the conference finals, and he ended up with a double-double. And he he Dwight's been the Jokic stopper. And I, I broached this topic a couple of weeks back. But as much as we give Jamal Murray credit for what he does, and he does deserve credit, is it Jokic's team? Because it seems like, they don't win when he doesn't play well, regardless of what Murray does. Because I've seen him, do, I think he's done this before in this series or in the playoffs. I know he has put up some good numbers, but Jokic did, and they still lost. Now I've seen the converse too, but I've, I've I feel, and I'm gonna check this this out that it's much more frequent and common for it to be uh, if Jokic struggles, but Murray has a good game, the Nuggets are still losing. The point was brought up that they are desperately needing Will Barton, a 16 point per game scorer who set out the restart. It's rough, man, but everybody's dealing with it, so there's no sympathy or love lost, but uh, 3-1. 
I personally do not see them coming up back from another 3-1 lead. It's just that the odds, <laughs> the improbabilities are, are astronomical, and I just don't see it. In the other conference, Eastern Conference Finals, not all heroes wear capes. Young Tyler Hero helped the uh, Miami Heat take a 3-1 lead over the Boston Celtics with his 37 points, 17 in the fourth quarter. And if you look at this man's shot chart, right, when you think of Tyler Hero, you think of a jump shooter, but you think of him perimeter, outside guy. Look at this man's sharp char- shot chart from game four and tell me he wasn't getting whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted, from wherever he wanted. It was, it was amazing to see, um, especially because, like I said, that 17 in the fourth quarter when the Heat were in a... Uh, tight game and he helped them seal the deal great to see it love to see it uh pick 13 Whew. a lot of gms feeling salty right now they don't have a guy like him who has a lot of off the bounce game that i don't think people gave him credit for when he first got into the league so it's good to see it now and it's good to see him putting it on the on a on the big stage best part about him he said that he wants to do this more for his teammate jimmy butler he said jimmy's never been into the league and he deserves been to the the finals and he deserves it. he's been such a great big brother to him and you love to hear that because we know the stories about jimmy have not always been great it's awesome to hear great stories it's been great to see jimmy do well um i called him out last game and said that he had to be more aggressive early on and he did that he ended up game four scoring 24 points so good for jimmy happy for the heat uh jimmy walked into practice after that 37 point game from hero wearing the rookies high school jersey so they have a tight relationship there Stuff you love to see. Stuff you love to see. Um, also, bam, told you before this series got started that my two keys, my, my matchup to watch was Bam Adebayo versus Daniel Tice. Uh, bam has been unreal. And I, it's not gaudy numbers. 16 and 11 coming into the season. 16, 11 and 4 coming into the Eastern Conference Finals. That's right around what he was averaging for the season. 15, 10, and, and uh, 5. But in the finals, in the conference finals, it's been 21, 11, and 4. And his energy and defense has just been incredible. Um, we talked about that block he had on Jason Tatum where his hand was in the in the rim damn near. And he brought it back out. The strength he uh, had to use for that. He played game four partially with the, I don't I want to say it was separate, something was up with his shoulder. And a shoulder to, to wrist area that he was really trying to work it out and finish that game. He's just a tough dude. He's everywhere on the floor. He's got great energy, and he can do a little bit of everything. And I just, this team, this team, this is why it was such an easy pivot once the Sixers were pretty much done when Ben went down because they just have it all, and you just like to see it. Um, For Boston, they have to worry. I I think for at least one game, Brad Stevens got outcoached by Eric Spoel. You could say that it was talent everywhere else, but uh, this one seemed like it was a lot of of Spoel just being a better player in-game manager than, than Stevens at this point because they couldn't, Boston, they couldn't figure out Miami's zone and you had Crowder and Butler at the top of it. You're not penetrating that. And who's who's doing it? You got Kemba, but he's got to sit sometime. Um, speaking of, him and Jalen Brown both gave the Celtics 20-plus apiece, but the story for them was Jason Tatum who had an awful scoreless first half uh, before coming alive in the second half and scoring 28 points 12 of which came in the fourth quarter. Listen, this series is far from over, but it's, 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 it's not over. It's not far anymore, but it's not over. 3-1 is hard. If we see two, if we see it, uh, then so be it. I just don't know if they can do it. I don't, I don't think there's enough grizzled veteran at the top uh, for Boston to overcome what 
the guys on Miami have gone through. You've got Jimmy, who's been through battles in the playoffs. You got um, Iggy, who's been through battles in the playoffs. Speaking of which, one more win, and Iggy will be playing in his sixth straight finals. Um, but you got veteran guys and a system and a, and a culture down there in Miami that I just don't think is matched anywhere. Um, you saw Myers, Myers Leonard walking in to the facility wearing a T-shirt that said something to the effect of they're the hardest working, um, most dedicated, best conditioned team in the league, and they're just going to outwork you. That's literally what I said about them a couple of weeks ago and trying to describe what's so great about them. They're just not going to quit, and you're not going to out outwill them. It's not going to happen. It's not. you got to give it up, and it looks like the Celtics are finding that out now for all of their fight. They just don't have enough because when the fourth quarter, when your legs are dead, Miami's still running up and down the floor, and they're still talking, and they're still doing what they got to do and playing hard defense. So love to see that. Uh, a player who was supposed to be a Miami Heat but ended up not getting there, CP3. Chris Paul has become a popular target once again for a lot of teams after the work that uh, he in part helped with the uh, Oklahoma City Thunder and their 0.2% playoff chance. They made a hell of a run. Uh, he seemed to bring out the best in young Shagus Alexander and even Dennis Schroeder as well as they all played together in that three-guard lineup. And I'll talk about that in a second too because that's, that's, there's some, some uh, foreshadowing going on there. But you're hearing rumors of him being linked to uh, Milwaukee, supposedly Giannis was talking to management and, and, and set forth a list of players that he would like to, uh, the, the front office to pursue. And on that list was one Chris Paul. Obviously, there are other names there, but Paul's name being mentioned is quite quite notable because um, I, I don't think many people saw that fit. They don't really have the assets to do it. Um, so neither does another team that I'm about to suggest, but, you know, we'll, we'll get there in a moment. That was that was one that surprised me, though. And I, I, I think back to how... People on the outside always thought of Chris Paul, at least back when he was with the Clippers, of being a selfish player, right? Dribbles the air out of the ball. He went to Houston with Hard, and we saw him kind of transform his game a little bit to mesh. And that was a big jump for him in terms of of likability, at least in my eyes. Uh, And now we see him go to Oklahoma City and not get traded to the Miami Heat. And he didn't pout, and he didn't suck, and he didn't he didn't just fa- uh, uh, phone it in for the season. He played hard, got them to play hard, and was extension of the head coach on the floor. We'll talk about the head coach in a moment. But you're also seeing CP3 being linked to Philly, and I just I, 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 before I talk about the Philly thing, I just think it's really really cool to see a player at his age, 35, 36, or seven getting this much publicity and, and, and generating this much, this much smoke, you know, to, to cause a fire that he's that wanted. Because again, we were entering a point where the, the CPD CP three dog. And was, was so bad that I was feeling bad. I've never been a particularly big fan, but I was like, wow, we can't be killing this dude like this. Like it ain't just him. You know, he, he reminds me of a, a more talented overall Rondo in that, You'll see something happen on the floor wrong, and it looks like he's he's snapping on somebody for no reason. But eight to nine times out of ten, he was making the right play, and the other guy wasn't, and that's why he's snapping. Um, so good to see him him generating that much interest, and hopefully, hopefully, he ends up landing somewhere. Um, I'll tell you where I think he he could land, and where it'd be a good fit in a moment. But there one place that he was another place he was mentioned is in Philly, and you're probably like, what the hell? Well, there are rumors that Mike D'Antoni could be Philly's next head coach that he and Tyron Lue are the uh, top finalists after their third finalist, Billy Donovan, uh, accepted the job in Chicago. (gasps) 
Now that's see that foreshadowing there is too heavy. Um, back to the story though. Uh, D'Antoni, his system is not conducive to big, so there's a lot of rumors and speculation that he could be uh, having the Sixers break up the duo of Joel Embiid and uh, one Ben Simmons. Now, I, if I was running that team and I had to pick one of those two, I'm getting rid of Ben because he needs the ball more than Joel needs the ball. And Chris Paul is giving you what Ben can do with a shot, albeit with less height. Uh, but the Dan Tony, the Philly thing is, is incredible because I, I think you keep seeing coaches get chances that have proven that they're not going to get over the hump for all the innovation that Dan Tony has and the offensive genius that you think he is. Is he going to win you a championship? Maybe you can say in the East it's easier. And that's what they're bringing him into a do is monetize, monetize, modernize the offense. But I just don't see that working out. And especially if it's going to cost you to break up Joel and Ben, maybe they don't, maybe that's just too deep, which is quite, quite possible, but man, it just, it doesn't feel like that's the move. I just, I, I don't, they should get Ty Lue and let him try to work with those stars and, and manage those egos and try to get them to do what needs to happen. We've heard the stories of him calling out Braun for, for not defending. So he's not afraid to go at the top guys. I think Lou would be a better fit than D'Antoni, especially because you don't have to do much changing to the roster and they're pretty much locked in this, unless they move some of those big guys. So that would be my choice. But Back to that other location that I could see young CP3 to kiss landing. That would be the Chicago Bulls. Because like I said, Billy Donovan is the new Bulls head coach. And for all of the talk of Billy getting Billy getting Coach of the Year honors from the Coaches Association, uh, we have to remember that uh, Chris Paul was the extension of him on the floor. So I, before this hiring, went on the record, wrote an article about it and everything, saying that Donovan was not the right man for the job. Well, they don't ask me. You know, I don't get <laughs> that's not my decision finally. So they hired him. And now the focus shifts to questions on how what does this do going forward? And I asked that for pivotingeasy.com in three simple questions. Uh, the first of which was, will we see three guard lineups, more of them, more frequently, more effective ones? Uh, the Thunder famously were using them with Schroeder, uh, Gilgis Alexander and Paul to great success. Uh, plus 25, plus 26, something like that over per 100 possessions uh, for the Thunder this season. So that's, you know, a really, really good sample size and a good number. And then you had the Bulls who were doing it out of necessity when Otto Porter went down with Sadoransky and Levine and Dunn and should be Kobe White. If you can put CP3 in the Sadoransky spot between or next to Kobe White and Zach Levine, that's a disgusting three-guard lineup that can score and, and knock the lights out the gym. Now, to get a deal done will require some, some ingenuity here. Uh, you got to uh, accept, or Otto Porter has to accept his, his, his option. He's picking that option up. There's no way he, he turns that money down. And then you got to try to flip him for a CP3. And you probably have, you got to add uh, Thad in there to get the money off. You can make the deal happen is my point, okay? I wouldn't be mad at that. Uh, the other one is to pursue one of those... Uh, is to pursue one of those bigs from Philly in Joel or Ben. What is it going to take? Are they going to move Joel because he is the big man in that system? If they do, what is it going to cost to get him? Can you still swing Otto in the fourth overall pick now to try to make a contender now? Billy Donovan coming here, coming here makes me feel like they're not picking fourth overall. I, I really feel like that pick is going to now be flipped because having the choice of going everywhere, anywhere that he wants, 
uh, for a coach that's been to the playoffs every year, despite how I think that he he came into that position or or uh, what I think of the merits of his success are, he did it. And to hear him say that the Bulls weren't on his list, but he was sold by Karnasovas, I have to believe that they have a win-now strategy in mind. The Bulls are maybe a fringe playoff team as currently constructed, but it sounds like they're much more prepared to go deeper than that. And in that case, I can see them doing... Uh, like I said, a deal for that fourth overall pick and getting an established star to go along with the core. How how, and who? I'm not sure yet. But I already told you that I can see it being hopefully a CP3 to bring it all together and mentor Kobe White, something that I brought up in the article for PermanianEasy.com. Or try to get one of those guys, try to finesse somebody out of Philly because Philly doesn't seem to be making good decisions right now. They're drunk. They can't go home. Take advantage. That's going to do it for this episode of Triple Zeros. Be sure to follow me on Twitter at Josh G. Buck. Hit up the Facebook page, Clocker Sports, website, clockersports.com. Email address, clockersports at gmail.com. Uh, listen out for the, look out for the round table for the Clockers. We're doing that one uh, tomorrow evening, Friday evening. Also, be sure to read the stuff at lastwordofprofootball.com, uh, pippinaineasy.com, clockersports.com, and American Betting Experts. Until the very next time. Thank <laughs> you.